chapter thirteen of fifty years ago by walter besant this librivox recording is in the public domain with the wits the ten years of the thirties are a period concerning whose literary history the ordinary reader knows next to nothing yet a good deal that has survived for fifty years and promises to live longer was accomplished in that period dickens for example began his career in the year eighteen thirty seven with his sketches by boz and the pickwick papers lord lytton then mr lytton bulwer had already before that year published five novels including paul clifford and the last days of pompeii tennyson had already issued the poems by two brothers and poems chiefly lyrical disraeli had written the young duke vivian gray and venetia browning had published Paracelsus and stratford marriott began in eighteen thirty four carlyle published the sarda resartus in eighteen thirty two but one must not estimate a period by its beginners all these writers belong to the following thirty years of the century if we look for those who were flourishing that is those who were producing their best work it will be found that this decade was singularly poor the principal name is that of hood there were also hartley coleridge douglas gerald proctor sir archibald allison theodore hook g p r james charles knight sir henry taylor milman ebenezer elliot harriet martineau james montgomery tall ford henry broom lady blessington harrison ainsworth and some others of lesser note this is not a very imposing array on the other hand nearly all the great writers whom we associate with the first thirty years of the century were living though their best work was done after sixty i take it the hand of the master may still work with the old cunning but his designs will be no longer new or bold wordsworth was sixteen eighteen thirty and though he lived for twenty years longer and published the yarrow revisited and i think some of his sonnets he hardly added to his fame salvi was four years younger he published his doctor and essays in this decade but his best work was done already scott died in eighteen thirty two coleridge died in eighteen thirty four byron was already dead james hogg died in eighteen thirty five felicia hemmins in the same year tom moore was a gay young fellow of fifty in eighteen thirty the year in which his life of lord byron appeared he did very little afterwards campbell was two years older than moore and he too had exhausted himself rogers older than any of them had entirely concluded his poetic career it is wonderful to think that he began to write in seventeen eighty three and died in eighteen fifty five beckford whose vathek appeared in seventeen eighty six was living until eighteen forty four among others who were still living in eighteen thirty seven were james and horace smith wilson croker miss edgeworth mrs trollope lucy aiken miss opie who lived to be eighty-five jane porter prematurely cut off at seventy-four and harriet lee whose immortal work the errors of innocence appeared in seventeen eighty six when she was already thirty lived on till eighteen fifty two when she was ninety-six bowles that excellent man was not yet seventy and meant to live for twenty years longer de quincey was fifty-two in eighteen thirty seven christopher north was in full vigour thomas love peacock who published his first novel in eighteen ten was destined to produce at last equally good in eighteen sixty landor born in seventeen seventy five was not to die until eighteen sixty four lee hunt who in eighteen thirty seven was fifty-three years of age belongs to the time of byron john keble whose christian year 
was published in eighteen twenty seven was forty four in eighteen thirty seven Eliel died in eighteen thirty eight in america washington irving emerson channing bryant whittier and longfellow made a good group in france chateaubriand lamartine victor hugo beranger alfred de musee scribe and dumas were all writing a group much stronger than our english team it is difficult to understand at first that between the time of scott wordsworth byron and keats and that of dickens thackeray marriott lever tennyson browning and carlyle there existed this generation of wits most of them almost forgotten those however who consider the men and women of the thirties have to deal for the most part with a literature that is third-rate this kind becomes dreadfully flat and stare when it has been out for fifty years the dullest flattest dreariest reading that can be found on the shelves in the sprightly novel of society written in the thirties a blight had fallen upon novels and their writers the enormous success that scott had achieved tempted hundreds to follow in his path if that were possible it was not possible but this they could not know because nothing seems so easy to write as a novel and no man of those destined to fail can understand in what respects his own work falls short of scott's that is the chief reason why he fails scott's success however produced another effect it greatly enlarged the number of novel readers and caused them to buy up eagerly anything new in the hope of finding another scott thus about the year eighteen twenty six there were produced as many as two hundred and fifty three and four volume novels a year that is to say about as many as were published in eighteen eighty six when the area of readers has been multiplied by ten we are also told that nearly all these novels could command a sale of seven hundred and fifty to one thousand each while anything above the average would have a sale of one thousand five hundred to two thousand the usual price given for these novels was we are also told from two hundred pounds to three hundred pounds in that case the publishers must have had a happy and a prosperous time netting splendid halls but i think that we must take these figures with considerable deductions there were as yet no circulating libraries of any importance their place was supplied by book-clubs to which the publishers chiefly looked for the purchase of their books but one cannot believe that the book-clubs would take copies of all that rubbish that came out some of these novels i've read some of them actually stand on my shelves and i declare that anything more dreary and unprofitable it is difficult to imagine at last there was a revolt the public would stand this kind of stuff no longer down dropped the circulation of the novels instead of two thousand copies subscribed the dismayed publisher now read fifty and the whole host of novelists vanished like a swarm of midges at the same time poetry went down too the drop in poetry was even more terrible than that of novels suddenly and without any warning the people of great britain left off reading poetry to be sure they had been flooded with a prodigious quantity of trash one anonymous popular poet whose name will never now be recovered received a hundred pounds for his last poem from a publisher who thought no doubt that the boom was going to last of this popular poet's work he sold exactly fifty copies another humorous bard who also received a large sum for his immortal poem showed in the unhappy publisher's books no more than eighteen copies sold this was too ridiculous and from that day to this the trade side of poetry has remained under a cloud that novelist has fortunately for some been redeemed from contempt by the enormous success of dickens thackeray george eliot and by the solid though substantial success of the lesser lights poets have now to pay for the publication of their own works but novelists some of them command a price those namely who do not have to pay for the production of their works the popular taste thus cloyed with novels and poetry turned to books on popular science on statistics on health and on travel barry cornwall's life of keen campbell's life of siddons the lives of sale sir thomas picton and lord exmouth for example were all well received 
sir ross's arctic seas lamartine's pilgrimage macfarlane's travels in the east holman's round the world and quinn's voyage down the danube all commanded a sale of one thousand copies each at least works of religion of course always succeed if they are written with due regard to the religious leaning of the moment it shows how religious fashions change when we find that the copyright of the works of robert hall realized four thousand pounds and that of charles simeon's books five thousand pounds while of the reverend Alexander fletcher's book of family devotions published at twenty-four shillings two thousand copies were sold in the day of publication i dare say the same thing would happen again to-day if another mr fletcher were to hit upon another happy thought in the way of a religious book i think that one of the causes of the decay of trade as regards poetry and fiction may have been the badness of the annuals you will find in any old-fashioned library copies of the keepsake the forget-me-not the book of beauty flowers of loveliness findon's tableau the book of gems and others of that now extinct tribe they were beautifully printed on the finest paper they were illustrated with the most lovely steel engravings the like of which could not now be had at any price they were bound in brown and crimson watered silk most fascinating to look upon and they were published at a guinea as for their contents they were to begin with written almost entirely by ladies and gentlemen with handles to their names each number containing in addition two or three papers by commoners mere literary commoners just to give a flavouring of style in the early thirties it was fashionable for lords and ladies to dash off these trifles byron was a gentleman shelley was a gentleman nobody else to be sure among the poets and wits was a gentleman yet if byron and shelley condescended to bid for fame and bays why not lord Recolver, lady julia de dagenham or the honourable laura clonsilla i have before me the keepsake for the year of eighteen thirty one among the authors are lord morpeth lord nugent lord porchester lord john russell the honourable george agar ellis the honourable henry liddell the honourable charles phipps the honourable robert craddock and the honourable grantley barclay among the ladies are the countess of blessington eliel and agnes strickland theodore hook supplies the professional part the illustrations are engraved from pictures and drawings by eastlake corbould westall turner smirk flaxman and other great artists the result from the literary point of view is a collection much lower in point of interest and ability than the worst number of the worst shilling magazines of the present day i venture to extract certain immortal lines contributed by lord john russell who is not generally known as a poet they are written at keneal the residence of the late mr dugald stuart to distant worlds a guide amid the night to nearer orbs the source of life and light each star resplendent on its radiant throne gilds other systems and supports its own thus we see stuart in his fame reclined enlighten all the universe of mind to some for wonder some for joy appear admired when distant and beloved when near twas he gave rules to fancy grace to thought taught virtue's laws and practised what he taught dear me something similar to the last line one remembers written by an earlier bard in the same way terence has been accused of imitating the old eton latin grammar somewhere about the year eighteen thirty seven the world began to kick at the keepsakes and they gradually got extinguished then the lords and the countesses put away their verses and dropped into prose and to the infinite loss of mankind wrote no more until editors of great monthlies anxious to show a list of illustrious names began to ask them again as for the general literature of the day there must have been a steady demand for new works of all kinds for it was estimated that in eighteen thirty six there were no fewer than four thousand persons living by literary work most of them of course must have been simple publishers hacks but seven hundred of them in london were journalists at the present day there are said to be in london about fourteen thousand men and women who live by writing and of this number i should think that thirteen thousand are in some way or other connected with journalism 
publishers hacks still exist that is to say the unhappy men who without genius or natural aptitude or the art of writing pleasantly are eternally engaged in compiling stealing arranging and putting together books which may be palmed off upon an uncritical public for prize books and presents but they are far fewer in proportion than they were and perhaps the next generation may live to see them extinct what did they write this regiment of three thousand three hundred litterateurs novelists as we have learned had fallen upon evil times poetry was what it still continues to be a drug in the market but there was the whole range of the sciences there were morals theology education travels biography history the literature of art in all its branches archaeology ancient and modern literature criticism and a hundred other things yet making allowance for everything i cannot but think that the three thousand three hundred must have had on the whole an idle and unprofitable time however some books of the year may be recorded first of all in the annual register for eighteen thirty seven there appears a poem by alfred tennyson i have copied a portion of it oh that we're possible after long grief and pain to find the arms of my true love round me once again when i was wont to meet her in the silent woody places of the land that gave me birth we stood tranced in long embrace mixed with kisses sweeter sweeter than anything on earth a shadow flits before me not thee but like to thee ah god that it were possible for one short hour to see the souls we love that they might tell us what and where they be it leads me forth at evening it lightly winds and steals in a cold white road before me when all my spirit reels at the shouts the leagues of lights and the roaring of the wheels then the broad light glares and beats and the sunk eye flits and fleets and will not let me be i loathe the squares and streets and the faces that one meets hearts with no love for me always i love to creep to some still cavern deep and to weep and weep and weep my whole soul out to thee books indeed there were in plenty lady blessington produced her victims of society in sunday at the zoo mr littenbulwer his de chaise de la valliere ernest maltravers and athens his rise and fall miss mitford her country stories coddle his recollections of coleridge harrison ainsworth crichton disraeli venetia talford the life and letters of charles lamb babbage a bridgewater treatise hook jack bragg haynes bailey his weeds of witchery a thing as much forgotten as the weeds in last year's garden james his attila and louis the fourteenth miss martineau her book on american society i find not in the book which i have not read but in a review of it two stories which i copy one is of an american traveller who had been to rome and said of it rome is a very fine city sir but its public buildings are out of repair the other is the following few men said the preacher in his sermon when they build a house remember that there must some day be a coffin taken downstairs ministers said a lady who had been present have got into the strangest way of choosing subjects true wide staircases are a great convenience but christian ministers might find better subjects for their discourses than narrow staircases in addition to the above hartley coleridge wrote the lives of northern worthies the complete poetical works of salvi appeared he himself died at the beginning of eighteen forty two dion bukiko produced his first play being then fifteen years of age carlyle brought out his french revolution lockhart his life of scott martin tupper the first series of the proverbial philosophy hallam his literature of europe there were the usual travels in arabia armenia italy and ireland with no doubt the annual avalanche of sermons pamphlets and the rest above all however it must be remembered that to this time belonged the sketches by boz eighteen thirty six and the pickwick papers eighteen thirty seven thirty eight of the latter the athenaeum not unwisely remarked that they were made up of three pounds of smollett three ounces of stern a handful of hook a dash of a grammatical pierce egan the incidents at pleasure served with an original sauce piquant we earnestly hope and trust that nothing we have said will tend to refine boz 
one could hardly expect a critic to be ready at once to acknowledge that here was a genius original totally unlike any of his predecessors who knew the great art of drawing from life and depicting nothing but what he knew as for thackeray he was still in the chrysalis stage though his likeness appears with those of the contributors to fraser's magazine in the portrait group of fraserians published in eighteen thirty nine his first independently published book i think was the paris sketch-book which was not issued until the year eighteen forty here it will be acknowledged is not a record to be quite ashamed of with carlyle talford hallam and dickens to adorn and illustrate the year after all it is a great thing for any year to add one enduring book to english literature and it is a great deal to show so many works which are still read and remembered lytton's ernest maltravers though not his best novel is still read by some talford's charles lamb remains disraeli's venetia lockhart's life of scott is the best biography of the novelist and poet carlyle's french revolution shows no sign of being forgotten between the first and the fiftieth years of victoria's reign there arose and flourished and died a new generation of great men dickens thackeray lytton in his later and better style george eliot charles reed george meredith nathaniel hawthorne stand in the very front rank of novelists in the second line are charles kingsley mrs gaskell lever trollope and a few living men and women tennyson browning swinburne matthew arnold are the new poets carlyle freeman froude stubbs green lecky buckle have founded a new school of history maurice has broadened the old theology darwin huxley tyndall lockyer and many others have advanced the boundaries of science philology has become one of the exact sciences a great school of political economy has arisen flourished and decayed as to the changes that have come upon the literature of the country the new points of view the new creeds these belong to another chapter there has befallen literature of late years a grievous even an irreparable blow it has lost the salon there are no longer grandes dames de parlement who attract to their drawing-rooms the leaders and the lesser lights of literature there are no longer so far as i know any places at all even any clubs which are recognized centres of literature there are no longer any houses where one will be sure to find great talkers and to hear them talking all night long there are no longer any great talkers that is to say many men there are who talk well but there are no sydney smiths or macaulays and in houses where the sydney smith of the day would go for his talk he would not be encouraged to talk much after midnight in the same way there are clubs like the athenaeum and the saville where men of letters are among the members but they do not constitute the members and they do not give altogether its tone to the club fifty years ago there were two houses which each in its own way were recognized centres of literature every man of letters went to gore house which was open to all and every man of letters who could get there went to holland house the former establishment was presided over by the countess of blessington at this time a widow still young and still attractive though beginning to be burdened with the care of an establishment too expensive for her means she was the author of a good many novels now almost forgotten it is odd how well one knows the name of lady blessington and how little is generally known about her history literary or personal and she edited every year one of the keepsakes or forget-me-nots from certain indications the bearing of which her biographer mr madden did not seem to understand i gather that her novels did not prove to the publishers the literary success which they expected and i also infer from the fact that she was always changing them that a dinner at gore house and the society of all the wits after dinner were not always attractions strong enough to loosen their purse-strings this lady whose maiden name was power was of an irish family her father being engaged when he was not shooting rebels in unsuccessful trade her life was adventurous and also scandalous she was married at sixteen to a captain farmer from whom she speedily separated and came over to london where she lived for some years her biographer does not explain how she got money a grass widow when lord blessington lost his life and mrs farmer lost her husband 
the gallant captain got drunk and fell out of the window they were married and went abroad travelling in great state as an english milor of those days knew how to travel with a train of half a dozen carriages his own cook and valet the countess's women a whole batterie de cuisine a quantity of furniture couriers and footmen and his own great carriage with them went the count d'orsay then about two-and-twenty and young charles matthews then about twenty a protege of lord blessington who was a friend and patron of the drama after lord blessington died it was arranged that count d'orsay should marry his daughter but the count separated from his wife a week or two after the wedding and returned to the widow whom he never afterwards left always taking a lodging near her house and forming part of her household the countess d'orsay one need not explain did not visit her stepmother at gore house here however you would meet tom moore the two bowers campbell talford james and horace smith landseer theodore hook disraeli the elder and the younger rogers washington irving n p willis marriott macready charles dickens albert smith forster walter savage lander and in short nearly every one who had made a reputation was likely to make it hither came also prince louis napoleon in whose fortunate star count d'orsay always firmly believed the conversation was lively and the evenings were prolonged as for ladies there were few ladies who went to gore house doubtless they had their reasons the outer circle so to speak consisted of such men as lord abinger lord durham lord strangford lord porchester lord nugent writers and poetasters who contributed their illustrious names and their beautiful productions to lady blessington's keepsakes thackeray was one of the intimates at gore house and when the crash came in eighteen forty nine and the place was sold up by the creditors it is on record that the author of vanity fair was the only person who showed emotion mr thackeray also came wrote the countess's valet to his mistress who had taken refuge in paris and he went away with tears in his eyes he is perhaps the only person i have seen really affected at your departure in eighteen thirty seven he was twenty-six years of age but he had still to wait for twelve years before he was to take his real place in literature and even then and until the day of his death there were many who could not understand his greatness as regards lady blessington her morals may have been deplorable but there must have been something singularly attractive about her manners and conversation it is not by a stupid or an unattractive woman that such success as hers was attained her novels so far as i have been able to read them show no remarkable ability and her portrait shows amiability rather than cleverness and yet she must have been both clever and amiable to get so many clever men around her and to fix them to make them come again come often and regard her drawing-room and her society as altogether charming and to write such verses upon her as the following mild wilberforce by all beloved once on this hallowed spot whose zealous eloquence improved the fettered negro's lot yet here still slavery attacks whom blessington invites the chains from which he freed the blacks she rivets on the whites the following lines are in another strain more artificial with the false ring and curiously unlike any style of the present day they are by m p willis who in his pencillings described an evening at gore house i gaze upon a face as fair as ever made a lip of heaven falter amid its music prayer the first that starves summer even springs scarce so softly on the eye nor grows with watching half so bright nor bid its sisters of the sky so seems of heaven the dearest light men murmur where that shape is seen my youth's angelic dream was of that face and mien gore house was a place for men there was more than a touch of bohemia in its atmosphere the fair chatelain distinctly did not belong to any noble house though she was fond of talking of her ancestors the constant presence of count d'orsay and the absence of lady harriet his wife the coldness of ladies as regards the place the whispers and the open talk these things did not perhaps 
make the house less delightful but they placed it outside society holland house on the other hand occupied a different position the circle was wide and the hospitable doors were open to all who could procure an introduction but it was presided over by a lady the opposite to lady blessington in every respect she ruled as well as reigned those who went to holland house were made to feel her power the princess marie lechstenstein in her book on holland house has given a long list of those who were to be found there between the years seventeen ninety six and eighteen forty among them were sydney smith macaulay byron monk lewis lord jeffrey lords eldon thurlow broom and lyndhurst sir humphrey davy count rumford lords aberdeen maria and mccartney grattan kern sir samuel romilly washington irving tom moore cologne lally tollendal talleyrand the duke of clarence the duke d'orleans metternich canova the two erskines madame de stal lord john russell and lord houghton there was no such agreeable house in europe as holland house there was no professional claqueur no mutual puffing no exchange support there a man was not unanimously applauded because he was known to be clever nor was a woman accepted as clever because she was known to receive clever people the conditions of life and society are so much changed that there can never again be another holland house the first thing which strikes one who considers the history of this place as well as gore house is that though the poets wits dramatists and novelists go to these houses their wives do not in these days a man who respects himself will not go to a house where his wife is not asked then again london is so much greater in extent and people are so much scattered that it would be difficult now to get together a circle consisting of literary people who live near enough to frequent the house and another thing people no longer keep such late hours they do not sit up talking all night that is perhaps because there are no wits to talk with but i do not know i think that towards midnight the malice of count d'orsay drawing out the absurd points in the guests the rollicking fun of tom moore or his sentimental songs the repartee of james smith and the polished talk of lytton bulwer all collar cuff diamond pin and wavy hair would have begun to pall upon me and when nobody was taking any notice of so obscure an individual i should have stolen down the stairs and so out into the open air beneath the stars for the wits were very witty but they must have been very fatiguing quite enough of that macaulay lady holland would say tapping her fan upon the table now tell us about something else End of chapter thirteen